Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. Have you ever had to be intentional about anything in your life? It can be anything. Have you ever had to be intentional about anything in your life? Maybe, you're, maybe you struggle with reading your Bible. Maybe that is just something you have to be very intentional at. Maybe you try to be very intentional about spending time together as a family. You have certain rules in your house where the TVs are off, the phones are put away in a basket at some, some other part of the room, and you try to be very intentional about spending time together as a family because you realize that the time that you have with your kids is short and it's limited. And there's coming a day when they're going to grow up, they're going to move out of the house, and they're going to be out on their own. And you want to be very intentional about spending time with your family. Maybe you're trying to learn a new skill or a new hobby, and you've got to devote a lot of attention to that. Whatever it is that you're thinking about this morning, we all have to be intentional at something at some point in our lives. And this morning, we're going to look into the lives of two of Jesus' disciples, and we're going to see about what they had to be intentional about and how that applies to you and I as well. So at this point in the story, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He has spent around 40 days with his disciples. He's appeared to other people. He's done miracles. He's done all sorts of things. Right before he ascended, he gave his disciples a charge. He commissioned them that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you will be my witnesses. You will reflect me. You will tell others about me wherever it is that you go in life. Acts chapter 2 comes along. The disciples are up in the, in the upper room at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls down upon them. The church is born. And it's there that the disciples and the apostles begin to speak in other tongues to proclaim the gospel to the lost around them in their own languages. Later on, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He, pre- he preaches the very, his very first recorded sermon. And in his sermon, 3,000 people get saved. And then later on, we see that the, the church is devoting themselves to the, the teaching of the word, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayers. And through the church's intentionality, we see that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that brings us to our passage this morning. Look with me at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So at this point, we're we're looking at Peter and John here. They're on their way to the temple. They're going to pray. At this point, Christianity has not fully separated from Judaism, so it's pretty common for early believers to to still participate in some of those practices, going to the temple, praying, and all these types of things. So Peter and John are going to the temple. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and on their way, they stumble stumble across a man who has been, the, the Bible says, he's been lame from birth. He's been paralyzed ever since he was born. Later on in Chapter 4, we learn that this man is approximately over 40 years old. In other words, this is a key detail. This guy has been paralyzed his entire life. 
He's so familiar with people carrying him every single day to each location. He knows no other life. He only knows people carrying him from his home to the temple and to every other place that he needed to go. We don't know exactly who's carrying him. It could be some of his friends. It could be some relatives. All we really know is that he's a a little bit over 40, around 40 years old. He's been lame. He's been paralyzed ever since he was born. And he's being placed daily at the temple. Now, in Judaism, there are three main pillars to their faith. Worship, keeping the Torah, and almsgiving. Alms are essentially money or special goods that are designated and given to the poor. So this guy knows what he's doing. This guy is sitting at this place called the Beautiful Gate, and he's in the perfect position for pious and religious people to give him money. He's strategically placed at the, at the temple gate so that when people are going to worship or as they're coming from worship, they'll look at him Their heart will be extended to them. And if they're a good Jew, they will give him some alms. They'll give him an offering. He's sitting there. He's asking for it. You can imagine. It's the heat of the day. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can imagine the sun beating down upon this man. He's here every single day, no matter what the weather. He is here, and his only hope is that some people will have pity on him, and some people will give him alms so that he can either buy food or whatever he needs it for that day. He is strategically placed, he's put at this temple gate so that he can receive alms. He's placed at this place called the Beautiful Gate. Now the Beautiful Gate was a gate that separated the outer court where all the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people could go. The non-Jews, the the Gentiles could come into the temple through the outer court and they had to stay there, but they could still come into the temple and worship there. And then... The beautiful gate separated the outer court from the inner court. The inner court is where the Jews could come. There were different places in the inner court where men could come and women could come, but there was a separation there. Then further on into the temple, you had the the priest court where all the priests could go, and then further into that, you had the holy place. So imagine with me this morning. The gym, as far back as we can go, aside from the extension of our building, let's imagine the gym all the way in the back. The gym is is the outer court. That's where all the Gentiles could be. That's where all the non-Jewish people could be. They could come in to worship. The foyer right behind us, the foyer is the inner court. This is where Jewish people could come. Men and women had their own little place in there. But the foyer right behind us is the inner court. Right here where the pews are, This is the priest court. This is where the priest could come um, into the temple. And here on the stage, this is is the holy place. This here in the holy place is where uh, the, the high priest once a year would enter into and make a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. Now, if the gym is the outer court and the foyer is the inner court, the beautiful gate is somewhere between, it's somewhere around the kitchen connection point area. That's how far back it is. This guy is not allowed to enter into the inner court because Levitical law considered him unclean. He was unworthy, he was unfit, he was unclean to enter into the presence of God. So he had to remain back at the beautiful gate. That's where he is. He's laid there daily, and he's just sitting there in the heat of the sun, and he's seeing people come in, and you can imagine the, the monotone and the despondence in his voice, alms, 
arms, arms. This is his life. He doesn't know anything else. This is what he's doing. This is his life. This is his way of living, so to speak. He's, at com- he's completely at the mercy of others to take pity on his life. And he sees Peter and John, and he looks at them going into the temple, and he does the same that he does for everybody else. Alms, alms. He's not really expecting to receive anything, but he is hopeful. Maybe these two guys, maybe they'll take pity on him. Maybe they will extend some mercy, they'll extend an offering to him. But again, he's not really expecting, he's hopeful, but as they kind of come on by, he, he just glances past them, he, he continues to look at all the other people that are in the temple asking them for alms as well. But notice what Peter and John do, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. That word directed there, it can also be understood or it can also be translated as intentionally looked at. Peter fixed his attention. Peter intentionally looked at this man. So this man is just sitting at the gate. He's asking alms for people. He's not really, he's not really expecting people to give him any money. So he asked Peter and John as they're passing by him, alms, alms. He kind of moves on to, to somebody else. But Peter and John stop in their tracks, fix their attention on him, and, he, and they say, look at us. You can imagine the, the, the hopefulness and the expectancy in this man's heart and in this man's life. No one's ever probably really even responded to his call for alms. People are just passing him by. They're on their way. They've got their own business to take care of. They're on their way to the temple. They're on their way to worship. They're on their way to pray. And people are just completely passing him by. But Peter and John stop. They look at him and they say, look at us. And the joyfulness and the expectancy in his heart, he turns to them. He's expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter says, I have no silver and gold. Disappointed. Upset. Let down. All the words that are describing this man's life right now. He's hopeful. He's expectant. I don't have any silver and gold. Why respond to him if you don't have anything that that he's looking for. If he's looking for silver and gold, why even stop and say anything to him? Just pass him by, keep going. Why would Peter and John stop and look at him and say, hey, you're asking for this, I don't have any of that. Like, just just keep moving, what are you doing? But Peter and John, even though they don't have what the man is asking for, they have what he really needs. They have what he truly needs. And he looks at them and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John don't have money. They don't have silver. They don't have gold. But they have Jesus. And they extend Jesus to him. They intentionally gazed upon this man. They knew what he actually needed and they extended it 
to him. They extended and they gave Jesus to him. And then something strange happens. Peter stretches out his hand. He, he pulls him up. And then almost of a little hesitancy, the man's a, probably a little doubtful. He kind of holds on to Peter for a little bit longer. Remember, he, it's not like he had an accident at some point in his life and he just is no longer able to walk anymore. And he, for, and he, he, he has no idea how to walk. He has no idea how to move his legs or anything. It's not like an accident happened to him and he can't. He's never been able to walk in his entire life. Peter reaches out a hand, pulls him up, and he holds on to him a little bit longer, and then something strange and amazing happens. He begins to feel a tingling sensation in his legs and his feet for the very first time. Peter lets go, kind of stumbles for a second, and he's standing. For the first time in his life, he is standing on his own without the help of anybody else. The Bible says, immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. He is standing on his own. God, through his servant Peter, has healed this man of his illness, of his condition. God has worked through the life of one of his servants. And look at this man's response. Verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man immediately begins to praise God. The first thing that he does when he is healed, when Jesus heals him, the first thing that he does is he begins to praise God for what has happened. He jumps up. Not only is he walking, he jumps up, he's leaping, he's running around. It probably looked like four and five-year-old recreation last week. It was a load of fun. It was happening. He's excited. This is an amazing thing that God has done in his life. He's thrilled about what God's doing. He stands up. He enters into, entered into the temple with Peter and John. The first time he's ever been allowed into the inner court because now he is considered spiritually acceptable before God according to the law. He enters into the presence of God. Peter and John are continuing the mission of God even though Jesus has ascended into heaven. Peter and John have seen Jesus do remarkable and miraculous things. In John 5, they saw him heal the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 9, they saw Jesus heal a man who had been born blind. They had seen Jesus do miracles before, but now, through the power of the Spirit, they are doing miracles. They are the ones who are continuing the mission of God, even though Jesus is no longer physically with them. The mission of God continues to go forth because John and Peter are intentionally living out God's call on their life. So what's important about this story? How does this relate to you and I? The truth that we learn from this story is that because God works through the lives of, because God works through the lives of his people, Devote yourself to intentionally live for him in all that you do. That's what we learned from this story. God is clearly evident and at work in the lives of his people. And so because God chooses to work through us as in the same way he's working through Peter and John, you and I, we should devote 
our, our lives intentionally to live for God in every single thing that we do. Even though Jesus is no longer presently with the disciples here, he's still working through them as the disciples trust the Spirit of God living inside of them. They intentionally devote themselves to live for God in every single thing that they do. Church family, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples in Acts chapter 2 to speak in tongues and to evangelize the lost around them, the same Holy Spirit that filled Peter where he was able to preach a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Church, the same Holy Spirit that was then, back then with the disciples, did powerful and remarkable and miraculous things through them. Church, that's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and I as well. The church faced extreme opposition. They were under the rule of a tyrannical government. And despite the challenges and oppositions that faced them, they trust the spirit of God living inside of them. And they were able to do remarkable and and miraculous things through the spirit of God working through them. Church family, if you and I want to see lives changed through the power of the gospel, if you want to see our families changed, if you want to see our communities changed, it doesn't come by electing new people in Springfield. It doesn't come through electing new people in Washington, D.C. If you and I want to see real, life-changing transformation, it happens when the Spirit of God fuels God's people with a love for God's Word who intentionally live out God's mission on their life. That's how real transformation occurs. That's how real transformation happens. When you and I, through the power of God's Spirit, just like the disciples, We intentionally devote ourselves to live for God in everything that we do, despite the opposition and despite the challenges that may face us. So what's the point? How do you and I, how do we live out this this word practically? Well, first, you and I, we live with intentionality. That's the first thing that you and I should do. We should live with intentionality. Peter and John, when they were passing by the the man placed at the beautiful gate, they intentionally directed their attention towards him. They intentionally looked at him. They directed their, their, their attention towards him. In the same way that Peter and John lived their life with intentionality, you and I, God is calling us to live our life with that same intentionality as well. Intentionally devoting our lives, no matter what our occupation or our vocation is, no matter what our age group is, God wants you and I to intentionally live our lives devoting ourselves to the mission of God and to the call that God has placed and given to us, regardless of what we do. Whether you work in the coal mines, whether you work in a grocery store, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a student, whether you're a a child, God's call is the same for every single one of us to be his witnesses and to evangelize the lost around us in hopes that people may come to know Christ. It takes an intentionality. We have to be conscious. We have to be fully aware of God's call in our life and the situations around us. Peter and John could have kept walking right on by the man, but they were fully aware of what God had called them to. And in that moment, they stopped and they intentionally looked at the man and they lived their life with intentionality. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Sometimes We're so preoccupied and sometimes we can get a little too busy to where we forget to live our lives with intentionality. You can imagine uh, all the people that were in the temple at the time. Everyone had their business to take care of. Everyone had places to be, things to do, people to see, things to go and do, all that. 
it's very easy for us sometimes to forget to live intentionally for God and the mission that he's called us to. I'm in a discipleship group. I'm in a D group with some of our, our high school guys this summer. And we've been going through the book of Acts, or I'm sorry, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And um, at the beginning of the summer, uh, one for one of our meetings, we, we, met at, we met at my house. And so I'm getting everything ready. Um, that requires mowing the lawn because I want my yard to look nice, I guess. I guess it's a dad thing. I don't know. So I'm getting the yard ready, getting dinner ready, getting the house ready, getting all these things ready. And my neighbor asks what I'm doing. And I tell him I've got some, some high school guys over. He knows I'm a pastor. He knows I'm a pastor here. I tell him that I've got some guys coming over and we're going to hang out that, this evening. Um, and I'm just trying to get everything ready and make sure the yard's okay and make sure the house is clean, make sure dinner's all ready. And that's all I told him. And in our D group, we're, we're intentionally, at the end, we're, we try to intentionally pray for people that are in our lives that are, are lost or we think don't, know, that don't have a relationship with God. At the end of our group, we go around and ask, have you had, to, have you had a chance to share with them uh, about, about the gospel or maybe had an opportunity to invite them to church or anything like that? We just go around and ask one another if you've had a chance to talk about Jesus this past week or if from the last time that we met with your lost person. And it came around to me, and I told the guys that I interacted with my neighbor earlier that day, and, um, and that's all I told them. I told them exactly what I just told you. And one of my high school guys goes, hey, Ryan, don't you think that was a pretty good opportunity to tell him why we were coming and either invite him to church or tell him about Jesus or something like that? And I thought, you know what? You can leave right now. <laughs> I didn't say that. I looked at him, and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I was too preoccupied and too distracted with what I had to do that I missed an opportunity to intentionally live my life for the mission of God and to have a genuine, hopefully life-changing interaction with my neighbor. A few weeks pass by. I'm coming back from a funeral. My neighbor's outside. He's sitting on the front porch, and he asked me what I'm doing. If I've had a good morning. So, well, not really. Just came from a funeral, but you best believe I didn't miss that opportunity. That student, that high school student's voice was in the back of my head, and I thought the next time I see him, he's going to ask me if I had a chance recently. Church, it takes you and I intentionally living our lives for the mission of God every single day. And even when we've gone off track, even when we get too preoccupied, distracted, and too busy, it calls you and I to stop, ask God for forgiveness, and to devote our lives to intentionally live for him again, even if we miss an opportunity. It takes God's spirit just working in our lives to get back on track. So the first thing we do, we live our lives with intentionality. The second thing that we do, we ask God for opportunities to share our faith. We ask him for those. We, we pray for people we pray for people who don't have a relationship with God. We ask God for an opportunity to share with them about the hope of the gospel living inside of us. We ask God for opportunities to share about what he's done for us and what he can do for others as well. Church, who is somebody in your life that doesn't have a relationship with God? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend that you meet at the gym. Maybe it's somebody else in your life. Who is somebody in your life that you know doesn't know Jesus and needs Jesus 
And God is simply calling you to pray for them and to give. And God is waiting and leading you to give you an opportunity to share with them about Jesus. Church, pray and ask God for an opportunity to share with that person about who Jesus is. But only do so if you're really serious and you really want an opportunity. Because church, you'll often find if you pray and ask God for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, you'll find that God's very faithful to give you that opportunity. Sometimes we may miss it, but God is always faithful. God is always constantly giving us opportunities to share our faith. Peter and John didn't come across this man by accident or by chance. No, everybody that you and I come across with on a daily basis is sovereignly orchestrated by God and put in our path for that day in hopes that you and I may have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Ask God for opportunities. Ask him to help you see those opportunities, but also ask him to give you the boldness to follow through and to actually share with those opportunities because God is in the business of giving you and I chances to share our faith. Ask God to give you opportunities to share your faith as you live your life with intentionality. Thirdly, simply tell people about Jesus. You might not know all the answers, but you know what Jesus has done for you. Do you think this man knew exactly all the the doctrinal points that he had to be versed in? Do you think he knew all of the eschatological questions about life and how the world's gonna come to an end and all that kind of thing? Absolutely not. He's been a believer for probably less than 10 minutes. But he knew what Jesus did for him. And Peter, they didn't have silver or gold at that time, but they did have Jesus. Church, if you're a believer here this morning, you might not have all the resources. You you might not have all the materials that people are looking for and asking for, but you have Jesus. Jesus lives inside of you, and you have that to offer. You have that to give to others. Now, don't misunderstand, this passage is not giving you and I an excuse to not share our faith or to not try and meet people's material needs. There are ton, there's tons of ministry that goes on at this church on a daily basis that you might not be aware of. Pastor Greg is phenomenal about meeting with people as they come in and trying to help them with our benevolence needs. Our benevolence team does a fantastic job of helping people meet their needs in the community. Helping Hands does a fantastic job every third Wednesday of every month of meeting people's needs with food as they come in. We have a chance to share the gospel with them. Helping Hands does a fantastic job. This past week, the children for VBS were charged and um, exhorted to bring cans of soup so that we could be a blessing to those in our community. And our children were able to bring 217 cans of soup this past week. That's awesome. Church, you do a fantastic job of living love and meeting the physical needs in our community. And we should meet those physical needs. But far greater than a physical need of food, shelter, or or anything like that that people may need, even though it may be necessary and it may be required at the time, the greatest need every single person on the face of this earth, the greatest need that every person in this community has is for Jesus. They need a relationship with him. So meet the physical needs of others, but don't neglect that to the spiritual need that they also have, because what good is it to meet their physical needs if we neglect to share with them about the hope that Jesus Christ has to offer them as well? Fourthly, thank God for what he's done for you. This man, as soon as he is healed, he jumps up, he runs into the temple, he's leaping, he's praising God, he's excited. Church, what has God done in your life recently that you can give him thanks for? 
What's a way that you can intentionally devote yourself to the mission of God on your life and to give him thanks for what he has done? Church, the reality is, and what this man has experienced, is that Jesus heals. Jesus has the power to overcome all of our all of our shortcomings. He has the power to forgive us of sin. He has the power to meet us where we are because Jesus heals, friends. And then lastly, the way that you and I intentionally live our lives for Jesus, you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the God that's created you through his son, Jesus Christ. The first thing that you need to do this morning is to trust in Jesus for spiritual salvation, for spiritual healing. doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter what you're currently struggling with because if there's anything that we learn from the story is that Jesus can heal you of all of your past mistakes, all of your present mistakes. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, he'll heal all of your future mistakes as well because Jesus heals. Jesus offers salvation to all who will turn to him and trust in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son to die in our place. God, we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that is offered through your son, Jesus Christ, providing a way for us to be restored back into relationship and fellowship with you. Father, you have commissioned us. God, you have given us a mission. God, you have given us a call on our lives as a church, but also individually as well. Father, would you help us to intentionally live for you in all that we do? Father, be with us now in this moment as we respond to your word. Lead us accordingly. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibc. B-E-N-T-O-N dot com.